Every passionate follower of Jesus has a deep desire to share their faith with others. How do we make and multiply disciples around the block and around the world? How do we do it at a rate that can compete with population growth, a growing secular culture, and 40% of the world considered completely unreached? With host Doug Lucas of Team Expansion, Lee Wood of One Body Church, John Hirima of Big Life, Roger Shull of E3 Partners, and special guests from around the world, we'll explore how believers can come together to make more disciples. Welcome to the More Disciples Podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the More Disciples Podcast. My name is Roger Scholl, and I am here with co-hosts Lee Wood. Hey, everybody. Doug Lucas. Good day. And John Harima. Hello. I'm excited for our guest today, who I'm pretty sure I met on a backpacking trip in 2014 or 2015, which was a great place to meet someone, but he has been pursuing movements uh, both in the United States, but also internationally. And so that's what he's going to talk about is the importance of doing both. So uh, Daniel, why don't you, why don't you give an introduction for yourself? Maybe you can talk about how you started getting into multiplying movements and what you're doing now. Wow, guys, I'm really honored to be with all of you. And uh, just, just, I'm just a business guy from Atlanta is how I got started. I was involved from a young age in, in my local church doing children's ministry and then ultimately young adults ministry. When I read a book by David Platt called Radical that gave me a vision for what I think the priesthood of the believer could look like in a local church environment where you're actually making disciples. And I realized I didn't know how to make a disciple starting with a lost person. I knew how to teach the Bible, but I didn't know how to disciple someone. And long story short, ended up hearing actually on another podcast, uh, the movements.net podcast, the story of Yin Kai in China, and ended up in a training with the author of that book, T for T, Steve Smith, and a couple other guys. And when I saw them diagram what we now refer to in some circles as the core missionary task or the four fields of kingdom growth, I knew that this was what I was called to do. It just made so much sense that we needed to have a plan to do what Jesus and Paul did to enter, to share the gospel, to disciple, to gather churches among those disciples and to raise up leaders who can do the same. And the next week, uh, I had a trip planned to smuggle Bibles into a closed country in Southeast Asia. And I asked, I asked Steve, I said, can I retrain this? And he said, sure. And he handed me his entire like thumb drive. And I probably led the worst church multiplication training ever <laughs> underground in this country. And it was so it was so moving for me to see um, leaders I had a lot of respect for who'd been in prison saying, you know, we see that if we move towards multiplication instead of addition, that we can accomplish this task more quickly among lost people and came back to Atlanta where I'm from and started sharing the gospel there. And we saw disciples multiplying primarily among Spanish speakers, um, some African-American communities coming to faith and just focused on running my business and, and stewarding work among lost people in Atlanta and then doing trips as a part of sourcing products for my business to Southeast Asia and East Asia, um, where I would tack on some training and coaching opportunities. So that's that's how I got involved. And it's it's been a fun ride. <laughs> So what have you been doing more recently as well? Because that was a number of years ago now. But um, yeah, what's been maybe in the past year? I know there's we're 
it's still in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic for anyone listening, hopefully out of the pandemic. But maybe what, what have you been doing lately? What has God called you to? Well, I, I have an empty apartment right now in, in, in a city in Southeast Asia that I can't get to. <laughs> but I, I live overseas technically, but I'm in, I'm in Atlanta for COVID, like many of my, my uh, friends and, and missionary family overseas. And uh, I had never planned to, to live overseas, but in 2018, we trained a thousand people in Atlanta and saw about a dozen churches get started in homes. We did the same thing. I can mention this country because it's it's open in Cambodia, and we saw 101 churches start in 2018. We trained a thousand, saw 101 churches start, and so I, I was just in a place where I was like, Lord, do you want me to be closer to somewhere where you're working at a faster pace? I loved I loved Atlanta. I had served there for five years, and the door opened for me to move to a city in Southeast Asia, and and from there, we just really started seeing the Lord open doors to engage people groups. I got getting to do some of that alongside some of Doug's teams in Laos um, is one place that we're working and, uh, and then doing a lot in South Asia as well. And so just really seeing the spirit multiply greatly among unreached peoples and places with a, and just pursuing a vision to, be, to, to see no place left where Jesus isn't known. Uh, from from Japan to Pakistan is where is where we're focused and uh, and so just stewarding a lot of different teams and I and I, I'm in a trainer role with with one of the organizations that's a part of no place left in that in that region. So, so I think one thing it's good to see you again, Daniel. I think it was 2018 that we actually met for the first time yeah. um, in Houston, and you were headed that direction. I think it's really cool on the podcast. We started doing this thing with basically those seven principles that I've, I think I've shared with you. But like, if you actually think about that tying to this, keep mm-hmm. doing what you're doing, you'll get better at it. And mm-hmm. uh, we started, wasn't very good, wasn't very, wasn't very good at it, just like everybody else. But like, you got started. And the more you do it, the better that you get at it. The second thing is that it's really interesting. You see that he was obeying at home before he was going. He was actually operating as an outside catalyst. So he obeyed and trained others. Those same patterns and principles repeat over and over again. We have um, we have some people um, back here in Tampa that are in the same situation as where you're at, um, bro. So uh, my question is, how are you inside of COVID levering sort of the virtual space mm-hmm. to stay with another another um, principle, connected, communicating, and collaborating mm-hmm. simultaneously in the midst of or coming out of the pandemic, bro? Uh, that's a great question. I think we've all gotten more comfortable doing this, getting on, getting on Zoom, getting on getting on video chat. Now there's, there's limitations to what you can do with it. It's not the same as being face to face, right? Uh, particularly when you're working cross culturally, which I don't have a lot of experience doing. I've, I've done it for a little while, but you know, it, with people I have existing relationship with, I'm able to do a lot of coaching and I've got my whiteboard here. I can lay out things and, and have conversations with them about their plans. But first thing I'd say is, there's unprecedented fruitfulness among unreached peoples through COVID. And so we're, we're just seeing 
I, I've never seen this many people groups have a church. I mean, I'm, I'm tracking right now just with some of the movements we're a part of at least 170 UUPGs that didn't have a church a year ago that now have a church through COVID because all the people groups are back home. They're not working in a city somewhere else. And so a lot of what we're discussing is when things open up, which they're starting to, how are we going to do more leadership development to help get these churches more healthy and multiplying? But we're doing virtual virtual um, practices and principles type training, a lot of coaching online. And I'm, I'm seeing a lot of value, Lee, in, in these peer type learning circles as well on, over Zoom where I'll just pull a couple guys together around a topic and we'll study it around the word of God, the works of God in our generation as far as case studies, and then develop some wineskins or tools that are practical. So that could be for UUPG engagement. That could be for, for coaching skills. And we've had a lot of calls like that that are really fun um, where I've learned a lot personally. So That's cool, bro. That's really cool. Hey, Daniel, you know, you're talking about through COVID, we're hit seeing all these different opportunities, and that's awesome. And I agree with you 100%. Are these people coming to you? uh you know starting to ask to be trained and and asked to be you know enhanced in, in the coaching or, or is this still a matter of people on the ground finding them or you know how, why why is there so much growth during covid i guess is the, the question i'm asking the growth is completely through indigenous uh leaders that are owning the missionary task locally and so they're still free to move we've uh, I, I would say it's just the spirit working through them. And I'm, I'm a virtual cheerleader at this point, you know, and, and encouraging and just asking questions. Uh, that, that's where most all of the fruitfulness is coming, at least in Asia. Now, there's, there's a lot of stories that I'm hearing and that we're experiencing here in Atlanta right now as well of just people being open in the U.S. Um, and, and it's been fun to get reconnected with some guys here. But a lot of the stories I'm, I'm referencing, like a, there was a Muslim people group, never, never had a believer. And, and last week, I was getting photos of how the enti an entire village got baptized uh, among this group. And it's just like the spirits using the brokenness or the, the sauce, if you will, of COVID to prepare hearts for the gospel and then people are just being faithful to share it in some of these, uh, some of these multiplying movements that have a heart for unreached people groups. So, you know, Daniel, I'm glad to see you again. Uh, and of course we'd like to say thank you for making time to be here with us as well. Uh, it's obvious that you've done a good job in business. Your, your Daniel fast has become really famous all around oh my the, goodness. the country. So <laughs> we're, we're just glad to have you. One of the ways that we have worked together, as you mentioned a while ago is in Southeast Asia. And I think one of the principles that Lee has tried to articulate here a lot is the idea of collaboration. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was funny that uh, we were thrown in together into one mix in one place by outside, you know, external forces yeah. in such a way, I got to say, Daniel, in such a way that it could have put us at odds with each other. One of the things I've appreciated about you, and I think I, I hope you feel the same about, about me, that we didn't let it. We, yeah. we, just, we just acted like we are not going to let that ruffle us and we worked as friends and I know you're probably the same as I and I have certainly been about you 
uh, positively lifting you up. Mm-hmm. Can you say something about collaboration? Because it's something that Lee really harps on a lot. How is collaboration living out for you? I guess the, the field I know about more is the Southeast Asian yeah. field. You've had to pull together a lot of different uh, streams of of churches and believers, and you've worked really hard at making sure that they've gotten on the same page. Can you say something about that idea of how collaboration helps yeah. uh, maybe on uh, DMM? Well, you, th- you think about it, and you've got different guys out oh, there that we're, that we're learning He's from. Got visuals. He's got visuals, guys. <laughs> There's guys that we're learning from. You know, you could you could think Sargent or, or Sundell or, you know, guys like that that help build some relationship, right? And then there's guys like me that are learning from them and they're investing in other guys like y'all. And then there's folks we're investing in, right? And some folks will call this kind of a one, three, nine type relationship where you've, you know, you've got someone who's investing in three and they're trying to invest in three. And here's what I've found that's really interesting is that in this season of missions collaboration, these peer relationships are really valuable. And so, so there, there's a guy that mentors another guy. Um, I won't mention his name for security, but like we're all teaming together and there's four different organizations on the team, right? But we, you know, we're even making financial decisions together about this or that. And then, and then, then we bump into your team and you guys have done all this incredible research on where the people groups are at and then your team was like, hey, can we help you guys by making a PDF that shows where all the people groups are that's consistent with the vision of the network you're serving? And we're like, yes. And so now, you know, your team hands us a research tool that allows us to get in the, in the hands, in the heart language of the practitioners to know where the people groups are. And, and so these peer relationships are really a place I'm learning a lot and I'm seeing the spirit work through a lot of those, um, relationships. And then, and then, and then even down, down the people that I'm investing in and serving downstream, I'm trying to do the same thing for them and get them connected because it's just been such a, such a blessing for me, um, to do the same. So a lot of the guys I get to work with are mentored by the same guy as me or, or then a friend of his. And so there just ends up being a lot of trust across those those sort of mentoring yes. relationships. So Daniel, you're way more articulate about it than me, but like from John 17 and like what that looks like just biblically, the model, people tend to think organizationally instead of relationally. Right. And so we know, man, geez, we know we've passed from death to life because we love one another. Right. And that's a, that's a fractal that he just, that he just put up there those reproducing patterns that are relational, not organizational. So one thing I think that we should talk about is the enemy attacks that. That's really what you were saying, Doug, is we have an enemy that that he lies and seeks to divide at every fractal level. Mm -hmm. And so what Jesus prayed for, that we would dwell together in perfect unity, Um, basically be one with Jesus and with the Father Mm -hmm. in every tribe, nation, language, and tongue. So, Daniel, that aspect of spiritual warfare inside of that, seeking to divide really from micro to macro, the church that meets in the home, Mm 
Yeah. So the same way that that's the kingdom there behind you, could you sort of like, you're way more articulate than I am. I'm very grateful for your gifting and the way that you, I'm being serious, the way that you're able to do that. But talk about, talk about like that dynamic of warfare inside of that for micro to macro. And then also talk about maybe the way that you and others to drip down how we can pursue that unity. I know like inside of 2414, we're trying to basically model that to reach all unreached, unengaged through Mm -hmm. movements as co-laborers with sacrificial urgency. Mm -hmm. But one thing is people tend to think, think organizationally and relationally. Mm -hmm. So if you can take a stab at that, there's a question inside of there, bro. Yeah. Oh, bro. And I've probably made more, more mistakes here then I've, I've, I think I've learned a lot through some mistakes, but, you know, I've experienced the conflict in trying to, to start a local church with uh, practitioners from other networks. I've, I've experienced it with peers as we're misunderstanding each other, especially when you're going through culture shock cross-culturally. I mean, cause that, that's a, that's a dynamic you, get, you can kind of lay on top when you move overseas is there's, you know, a year to, year and a half or so where you're just angry for no reason, you know, and that, um, and that, why don't these people get it? Don't they know? I know. (laughs) Yeah. And so there was a season with some of our, uh, some of our teams were like, we were all going through culture shock at the same time. and, And the devil was just inserting thoughts, I think. Um, and, and heart motives came to light and just a lot of confessing. So I'd say the first thing, the first thing is fasting and prayer. And realizing that that we just have to do that on a regular basis and pray for our our mentors, pray for our peers, pay for the people who are all in this in this fractal to use your word there um, and, and pray for peace in those relationships. The second thing I've learned is to agree beforehand on how you're going to approach conflict with one another, because it is inevitable that we're going to disagree. But. You know, we'll do a one another study and and just agree and commit to one another that the one another's are very important. That's good, and bro. one of the things we'll keep saying is we want to put relationship over strategy, relationship over strategy. So what that means is not it doesn't mean I'm not going to fight hard for what I believe is going to reach lostness because the ultimate client is lostness. But I, I'm going to work through relationship. I'm going to honor relationship and I'm going to really invest time in loving people. And so one of the practical ways that that works out is if I've got this guy down here and say I've got a peer, for example, I'm going to work through that relationship to work with this guy. Absolutely. Okay. And I, and I know we all know this coming from a movement background, but that's not an organizational thing to do. That's right. That's a, that's a relational thing to do. And so, you know, if one of Doug's teams in Southeast Asia has a guy that's super fruitful that bumps into one of our teams, you know, and then he's being coached by someone in their org, you know, it doesn't really matter to me what org. I'm going to work through that relationship, that coaching relationship before I start, you know, involving this guy and stuff. Right. That's so helpful, bro. And, and so, Thanks for sharing. so we agreed. Okay. So in, in Cambodia, for example, there's another org. There's a guy that was so humble that came out with another org. I won't share his name for security reasons, but he came out. And so I was, in this case, I was coaching this national partner and he comes out and he says, I want to come under your national partner for coaching. This is an American guy. Okay. 
And so we agreed organizationally that, you know, the training wouldn't be changed, that funding wouldn't be used unless he and I had a conversation. And, and then there's just been a lot of sweetness in, in Cambodia in this kind in this relationship here where we're, we're both involved. Like I see him as a peer in many ways, but he's learning from, from this guy. But we had, we had a lot of conversation beforehand about how we're going to approach conflict and things like that. Uh, Fantastic. That is really awesome. It's awesome to hear how many relationships that God has put you into. And it just sounds really fruitful. Both you said even Americans coming overseas, you in Atlanta, you in Asia, just the national partners. You even said that like you're just a cheerleader now because they're really doing all the work of multiplication. Right. And so I love that we can talk about like work in the United States and also work outside the United States. I know one thing that you value is uh, just being trained here before going overseas, which I think everyone values, but it looks different for different people. Maybe it might be go to Bible college or seminary for some people or whatever else for other people. But I know you really value saying like, hey, you can multiply disciples in churches here and do the same thing over there. Maybe tweak some of the tools, but the principles are the same. And so how has that been for you? Like, what did you, what did you, why do you value that? And what did you learn about that and trying to walk it out yourself? Yeah, well, I, I I haven't been involved with 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 missions for as long as a lot of you guys. But when someone explained to me the principle of Acts one eight, that you know when the Holy Spirit comes on us, we're witnesses locally in Jerusalem and Judea, mm-hmm. and then regionally reaching out to people we don't like that are nearby, Samaria, and then cross culturally, globally, even into the ends of the earth. Uh, I was like, I get that. That makes a lot of sense to me. And then when I looked at most missions, what I was seeing was actually that people were going straight from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And, and, and I would call that mobilization to movement, which God has used. Don't get me wrong. I meet a lot of guys who came to the field that way, and God has worked through them mightily. Okay. So I'm not knocking it as a bad thing. But when I look at the alternative, if we have the option to go from movement to mobilization, where we're practicing locally in our own culture, the same things that we're going to now try to do cross-culturally, which I believe, you know, in in a context where there are local believers in a lot of places where I work in Asia, there's primarily a training and coaching role cross-culturally. But it's really hard to do that if you can't approach them and say, I've struggled through doing this in my own culture first. And, and so what the blessing of a lot of the folks who are coming out of No Place Left and some of these other networks like 2414 in North America overseas is, is they're coming from a point of having received that training you're talking about, uh, Roger, and now they're just having to make some cultural tweaks to it cross-culturally. And it takes at least... I think about half of the, the paradigm shift out of the picture for those folks. And when I've asked national, national partners and leaders in these different places that are now movement leaders that I have the privilege of serving about the importance of that in their mind, how important was it? How important is it that the folks on my teams and for me and others that we have experience at home, they're like, it is essential to us. And, and they're like, I've had them go as far as to say, we believe the missionaries of the future come from movements to mobilization. And 
you know, Americans should, should, should consider that as a best practice. So that dynamic, I actually learned from the guy that poured into, poured into me that all missions is, what missions is, is the same thing wherever there is as it is here. But you have to be a practitioner of that, obedient, just like you were, Daniel, I have been. Mm-hmm. And then it is obey and train others. So we can be yep. those outside catalysts, but also that all those things can happen simultaneously. Yep. Like Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, unto the uttermost parts of the world. Yep. But you can't bounce over there. You can't bounce to there yep. unless like you are obeying yourself and confronted those things. So yeah. John, you might hop in here because sort of the same thing as that fractal, that's been what our work has looked like in Africa and spread exactly the same way as what Daniel is talking about in um, Southeast, Southeast Asia and how that can actually cross pollinate as movements with one another. Because what Daniel's saying is everything should multiply like from the home to the community, to the city, to the nations that it multiplies that great picture that he showed back there, okay, is that movements can multiply. Mm -hmm. And that's like, but you have to have the essence of that with one another. So why don't you jump in there, John, so that we have like a a model of what he's talking about and even the way that we're all connected. We know one another. Like it's interesting on here that to some degree that we all know one another. Yeah. Like yeah. relationally, not yeah. organizationally. I think, first of all, I think Daniel took a shot at our age, you know, the way he says he's been, hasn't been doing this as, as, as long as the rest of us. That's, that's really the same thing as, the same thing as Roger with Daniel. It's, a, it's ageism. It's reverse ageism. Like the, the younger are, are, are really condemning the elderly. I see that. I heard you trying to get up on it without calling people old. It's hard these days. Daniel, this is this is gold. Uh, you know, I, I'm in in such agreement with everything you're saying. You know, I mean, too many times we see people who think they can turn a switch on when they mm-hmm. go overseas without doing it here first. And you know, it's it's got to be our lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, everywhere we go, we have to be uh, you know breathing about uh, making disciples who make disciples, whether it's here or you know somewhere along the way or the final destination. You know, if that's in South Asia or whatever. I think the most exciting thing right now, and, and you've already touched on it, but maybe you can touch on it a little bit more, is you know that diagram behind you. The further you go downstream, the less people care about organizations. Huh. Yep. You know, and uh, it's more about just seeing his name shot from the rooftop, and nobody cares whose banners on it. And I, to be honest, with you, I think in the last five years, that's the most exciting thing I've seen in ministry, uh, where where people are just saying, let's just let's just see the end goal, realize right. where. People are, you know, living a lifestyle, sharing Jesus, and nobody cares where they came from. You know? So anyway, true, if you want to just... John, I was thinking about a couple of years ago, maybe, maybe now, now it's actually been five years ago, but in one of the earlier workshops I attended, I went up to the speaker afterward and I asked him, how does this principle play out in your work where you're working? And I'm not going to say a word about who he was, obviously, because it'll, it'll seem like I'm disrespecting him. And I don't. I respect him a great deal. But his response was... Well, you know, since I've started, you know, traveling and teaching like this, I don't really get a chance to do 
any kind of uh, work with groups or any mm-hmm. kind of personal outreach. And my heart just ached for him. And I think, so Daniel, one of the things that I think is another factor about what you're mentioning is this idea of imposter syndrome. If we aren't living it out somehow in our social network at home, at least to some degree, if we aren't living it out to some degree, yeah. then when we get into a situation in which we have to do a training or uh, oversee something like that, if nothing else, if nothing else, it makes us feel that hollow imposter syndrome, which I think, wouldn't, don't you agree, it would play on somebody's kind of heartstrings or mind or something after a while, wouldn't it? I, I've... I've definitely experienced that when I, like, if I hadn't shared the gospel that week or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and and then you're training someone else to do it and you're like, shoot, I I need to, (laughs) then you go share with a waitress just so you can get it off your chest, you know, that that week, (laughs) Doug, that's a nod of like, I've been there too. Yeah. I, I, uh, you know, you want to, we want to practice what we're training and there's a power, there's a power. I think it goes beyond just your conscience though. There's a power, there's a Holy Spirit yes. power, yes, uh, yes. You, you know, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's really John 14, 26. Like if you love me, you'll obey me. And then I'll send my spirit. I'm not saying one happens before. I think it's kind of a both and, you know, obedience and the Holy Spirit helping us obey, but there's definitely a demonstration of the spirit's power on the edges of lostness is what is where I see it most when people step out in obedience. So yeah. I'm good for King James verses. So I'm going to quote John 14, 21, because I couldn't agree any more strongly. Yeah. He that has my commandments and keeps them is he that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved to my father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Mm-hmm. And everything you say is just so resonate. Acts 1, 8. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Yeah. You yeah. shall be witnesses unto yeah. me simultaneously. Yeah. I want to switch um, sort of directions a little bit on the business side. Some of our work now, like spheres of influence that he's given to us in the West, and I'm pretty positive you're familiar, familiar with the four disciplines of, of uh, execution. Okay? Yeah. So could you talk about like for us, like we define just locally as a church in Tampa, purely organic, decentralized our wig, Daniel, is fourth generation disciples mm-hmm. and churches in all three geographical leadership communities that we're present that we're present in. Yeah. And we're trying to, to see that like from homes, city church unto. Yeah. And our lead measures are interesting yeah. in pursuing that. Our prayer and fasting is number one. Right. I just think it's really fascinating. Like you would have one clue from that, but could you talk about, um, because you're actually pursuing it as not just a strategy, but as a, one of the mountains of influence inside a business of reaching those so that we see kingdom economics actually emerge inside of there. Could you take a stab at that, bro? So are you asking about the role of business and some of the leading indicators and how to serve movements through that as a conduit. Yeah, so I'm actually, I think what I'm talking about is Acts chapter two, you actually saw as movement, okay, not communism, but the sharing of those resources yep. at a micro level intentionally actually using business as access, as a oh, sphere yeah. of influence and to see that emerge. Cause I think you're a great model of that, bro. And I, and I'm random. And I think you can, you can articulate that again. I'm not 
you know, just being honest, like I, it takes me half an hour to say what you can say in a sentence, man. Oh, bro. <laughs> Praise God. I, I mean, I, as a single guy in this season of life, I, I do, I do run a business and that's, that's how I'm funded. And I get to do the, some of this movement stuff that, that you do as well. And that'll scale. That'll scale. And so I, I get, I get a lot, I get in a lot of these conversations where, you know, what are the leading indicators and okay, for, for one thing, COVID is kind of making it so that, you know, whether it's a guy from India who has a heart to go to Thailand or to Bangladesh, you know, they need a business to do that. We need businesses, even as Americans, to be in these places. Uh, and, they're, and they're having to be legit businesses, I think, going forward. There was a time when we could sort of have something that provided a visa, Um but, you know, to get into a lot of these places is not as difficult for me because I can speak with, you know, confidence about a business that I'm actually running. Now, I don't think you have to have that everywhere. I don't, I don't want people to hear this and say, Daniel's saying you have to be co-vocational to be effective. I'm not saying that at all. I do think the backbone of movement, I, I, know, I don't think this, I know this, the backbone of movement is the co-vocational leader. You know, in No Place Left, we call that the L3 leader who's that church plant multiplier who's working a job on his one hand. And on the other hand, he's working for the kingdom to see fourth generation churches. And so a lot of what we are focused on doing is raising that up, raising that up through local leaders. And so one of the leading indicators, I think Lee is, is, is connections between three groups of people in movements. Um, I think the first is indigenous movement leaders. The second is an outsider that's helping with some of the cultural dynamics that's paired with that multiplier, that indigenous multiplier. And then the third leg on the stool is either ascending church network <clears throat> like yours and or a business owner, okay, who can invest time and finances in a way that serves that movement. Now, the business that doesn't make, create dependency. No, that, exactly. piece, that piece there is when it's like there's no separation between the sacred and the secular. Yep. That's just a disciple of Jesus yep. in that is his sphere of influence. Keep going, man. We're exactly on the same page. Well, and so you look at business's mission traditionally, and the scope of influence is limited to the relationships of that business. Now, I think we have an opportunity in movement to do something much more exponential, where we're pairing folks who've already proven to multiply with the resources they have, and maybe we're starting a business that's committing to helping with the training budget inside of a place like India so that they can travel and go after new people groups without having to, to call someone in the U.S. to help them raise funds for that. And I think, I think in the long term, we can get to a place where we're there if we engage the believing business owners that are that are in in the church, not just in the West, but all over. Uh, so look at your mod, like what you said there, like step away and show your picture there again. Mm -hmm. If you look at those peer to peer there at that second at so zero to one or, or two, if you're looking at yeah. that that way, if you take movement practitioners that are in Central Asia and maybe with business owners that are movement people in the United States and you connect them mm -hmm. as peer to peer, that you get to scaling movement that's sharing in all those 
those places, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world more quickly as just like John was saying, nobody cares as followers of Jesus. That's what I think that you're saying, but people don't understand that it all multiplies, Daniel. That's right. That every aspect of that multiplies. That's right. That's right. And I, I, I would say, I've just I've noticed that that these three relationships as they come together are key. You know, there's that outsider, there's the insider, and there's the biz guy. And I don't know. I think that's because when I try that's to, good. I just had I just had this happen where I tried to go more direct here, and there was a lot of misunderstanding. Uh, <laughs> and then sometimes these business guys now, if they were coming out of your network, they would probably understand a lot more about movement principles. Yeah. If they don't but, get it, like if they're that and they're trying to manage it, it is a problem is if they're a problem. not a practitioner. So this, this relationship is key in, in sort of brokering something that really serves the kingdom, I think. So That's I think you can't in 95% of movements that I know of, at least were started by outsider and insider relationships. And so, you know, you're finding the right insider as an outsider. And like I said, this could be a guy from India working with a guy from Bangladesh or in my case, a guy from the U.S. working with a guy from Cambodia. But yeah. you'd agree that that businessman, if he's actually on the same on the same page as a practitioner, mm-hmm. that's going to be like more effective, and that we should work toward work toward that oh, yeah. inside of business businesses as a sphere of influence, yeah. as actually a segment that emerges out of relationships. Yeah. So I sure. think you're I think you're modeling that. You might want it, You might be one of the best cross cultural uh, models of that that I know. So man, I'm very grateful. Well, we run an e-commerce company, so it's not a lot is on the ground with our business. It's all in the cloud, literally. So it it is a little less connected culturally than probably some other models out there. But it, it's definitely something I'm trying to learn. Um, and I think there's a lot of business owners who want to learn movement stuff. They want to practice it in their business, and then they want to figure out how to be involved with the Great Commission in ways that they didn't know were possible. Um, through through what the spirit's doing in, in movements, acts like movements. So, so we're pursuing that. We're pursuing through relationship with people that are actually business practitioners that have those connections inside their businesses mm-hmm. intentionally. Okay, yeah. to actually be that connection point, just like you're doing cross cross culturally. Mm-hmm. So I think if we're intentional about that from a Western perspective. You just tend to have that same inertia that you might have with other organizations because yeah. you can't manage it. You can't manage it. You actually, the same thing that we said at that level, have yeah. to be obeying to train others. That's right. That'll get, us, that'll get us further down the road with the same lead, yeah. same lead measures. Yeah, and I think that's why training in, in the West and in any – you know, any context, having a place where folks can come together. And, you know, for me, I had to go through, a, you know, the practices and principles for, for movements. You know, we, we call it gospel conversations training and the intensive, you know, you know, three or four times as a business guy before I finally, oh, I get it now. Because then, then there's that obedience piece that's happening at the same time where, you know, I think the Holy Spirit unlocks understanding as you obey. Uh, Amen. These things, uh, but you know, how can we how can we do more of that? Uh, yeah. 
I was going to say the same thing. It really does underscore the value of continuing to try to model and and inspire and prompt people in the West uh, to apply it locally so they can gain experience for uh, environments like this. And that's kind of the point you've been making, Roger, that you know Daniel well and you like the way that he's doing it on both sides uh, really well, huh, Roger? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, all the different topics that we're talking about, I love how you can articulate just, I mean, you talked about collaboration locally and internationally, you talked about the training locally and internationally, you talked about business locally and internationally, and just that dynamic, uh, like Lee was saying, I think you model it super well. Um, But I would actually, one thing that's been on my mind as I've been kind of taking a backseat and just soaking it in is like, was, was there anything that you feel like, man, before I started to make those training trips internationally or before I even moved there long term that you wish that you had uh, learned or wish that you had grown more in locally before going? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, where to start? Because we're lifelong earners, right? If we're involved with, with Kingdom Work. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things I, I love about it is there's always a new challenge that the Holy Spirit can overcome because obstacles are God's greatest opportunity to work. And, and so there's always something new to learn and overcome. I think I I wish I practiced, uh, and got really confident with, with a conflict resolution system, um, before going cross-cultural. Um, I've, I've since done that, but I wish I'd known how important that was. Um, I wish I learned Spanish while I was in the States so that I could at least uh, it, it would have enhanced, I think, just my personal skills in indigenization of training. Because it's one thing to take training and just translate it, or you know, you, but you, you know, as as an American in my scenario coming in cross culturally, you can tend to be patriarchal in what you're doing mm. if you're not careful. And so, I, I have some really great uh, partners that I work with that you know teach me a lot about their culture and help make it indigenous, but. If I if I'd had a little more, so I we saw a lot of fruit among Spanish speakers, but I was always just having the guy translate instead of diving into language myself a little bit. So I think, oh, man. so I think doing a little language and studying culture a little more stateside would have probably been helpful. Uh, what else? You know, that's actually a thing that I know in my context right now it doesn't have as high of a Hispanic population as Atlanta, but. We still are engaging Hispanic communities, and it's largely like, man, we need to find people to translate and whatever. And we've kind of talked like, man, maybe we should just learn Spanish. Well, I don't <laughs> so. think I don't think the goal is fluency as much as cultural understanding, because there's always uh, you yeah. can always okay. grab one of the kids, right, that you know grew up here, but also speaks Spanish with their parents, and they can translate really well for you. But you know, you're you could get to fluency, but your goal is more to understand their culture so that you can overcome barriers in discipleship and church and Mm. church health. And so learning to do that, I just, my mentor, Jeff, when he, I didn't ever realize how much of this he did, but when he came back from, from Nepal and started doing this in North Carolina, there was a lot of cultural indigenization work that he did to get things rolling in his culture in North Carolina, you know, and just tweaking the tools, tweaking the story sets, tweaking the, you know, and, and, and then that kind of became the operating system that a lot of us used. But developing that skill set, I think, is something that, that all of us across NPL, 2414, you know, it, everywhere we could learn more about. The, the last thing I'd say is spiritual warfare. Um, probably, you know, just getting 
a strong module of training on that, but then also diving into it. And so those three have actually, you know, based on some of my experience and others, we, we've actually made those modules a part of the No Place Left residency that we ask people to go through to at least go to join our organization cross-culturally and just uh, based on some of the things we've seen. But those would be three areas, I'd say, Roger, um, language learning, conflict resolution, and... Uh, I know like in Thailand, like one thing that we think about that we improve with one another is like um, we'll function like in Tampa as a phase one training hub, but those yeah. cross-cultural hubs that are connected where yeah. you can actually sort of go there and be a part of community, just like what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that you hear and see that model. Um, you've already been obeying, but it's actually being sort of all up in the mix and that crock potting together. Yep. And that's crossing mm-hmm. over those geographical ethno-linguistic that's right. barriers. I want to shift the, uh, the conversation a little bit this way. Again, if we combined all of the um, deaf non-hearing people globally that haven't been reached, they would amount for a 25% of the unreached, unengaged people groups. So that is really something that's heavy, like on my heart, because we know basically who they are and where they're, where they're at. So, and I don't think we ever talk about it. Basically most of deaf People that are engaged in ministry are the guys that are translating for a guy for another guy yeah. that's actually speaking from the front to the masses yeah. to a small po- small population. Um, I'm just throwing to you off the cuff. If you were to address that from a fifty thousand foot level, Daniel, how would yeah. you address the fact that of the which is an ethno-linguistic group. It's a people group, it is, man, it is. globally. Where would you start at? I'd start by finding them in my backyard, whether it's the city I live in in Southeast Asia or here in Atlanta. I'd try to identify, uh, you know, deaf folks to work with and begin indigenizing some of the, the movement principles and tools and helping them reproduce them in their language. Yeah, maybe you guys could get Will Will Smith on sometime, but you know, he's he's got a heart for diaspora strategy in North America, just moved to Atlanta and you know, what he's praying God'll do is multiplication will happen among diaspora groups here and then we can follow them back to their home um, through their through their oikos, uh, you know, globally. And you know, there's a guy named Fan in Atlanta, trained some Burmese guys, you know, followed oikos back did some training through that Oikos in Burma. I know you've experienced this too, uh, Lee, but now, now there's, you know, 20, 25 churches multiplying some of them among you and UUPGs from, you know, faithfulness here in Atlanta, following those relationships back. So what, what would it look like to see something similar happen among the deaf? Amen, bro. So you said it so much better. So if we can reach even believers or non-believers deaf Mm-hmm. And basically share the same basic stuff with them and then send them like immediately in the things that we're pursuing. Yeah. So, um, man, I, I think that one of the is that we have to get after that as those ones that are connecting this way intentionally. I think that's where as co-elders, leaders um, with one another, that's where actually strategic 
Ness and collaboration, communication can yeah. take place inside of that stuff. And man, I just want to let you know, like, you know, you're a huge blessing and encouragement and your ability to, to articulate these, these things, I think, and by the spirit and demonstration of the power. So thank you, dude. The spirit's well, I think, well, I think that might be about how long we take for a normal episode. So we might need to wrap up here real quick. Um, but I think what we talked about on this podcast, I mean, it was centered around obeying locally and going internationally, but even the topics of the role of business in that, the role of training in that, the role of indigenization in that, each one of those could probably be a podcast in, in and of itself. So yeah. we probably need to write some down, get Daniel back, get someone else back to talk about those things. But yeah. really appreciate what you talked about, Daniel. And actually, this is an opportunity to let everyone who's listening know that there is a More Disciples YouTube channel, and Daniel did draw some pictures on his whiteboard. So all right. Well, uh, thank you so much, Daniel, for joining. Thank you, man. On another episode, and thanks to all the co hosts as well. Thank you, guys. How are you making more disciples? What problems have you encountered? What successes have you celebrated? What questions do you have? Share your stories with us by visiting slash contact. If you're looking for next steps on growing your ability to make and multiply disciples, visit moredisciples.com to find resources, tools, and events all designed to help you make more disciples. 